You're listening to Robert Wright's Non-Zero Podcast. Hi, Mickey. Hey, Bob. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Good. So listen, I know you want to talk about affirmative action, all the important Supreme Court cases. However, as it happens, it's my week to do the opening, which means we're going to spend a little time in Russia and then we'll get to your stuff. Okay. I anticipated this. Okay. So here's your quiz. Now I'm going to read you two consecutive tweets from Michael McFall, former ambassador to Moscow, current social media star and Russia hawk. And I want you to tell me which word or phrase in these two tweets does McFall seem to not know the meaning of? Okay? Okay. All right. Here we go. Quote, Putin talked tough in his national address. He sounded like someone preparing for a big fight. But when faced with the difficult decision of trying to stop Wagner mercenaries with major force, he backed down. He didn't escalate. He didn't need a face-saving off-ramp to declare victory. When facing the possibility of really losing to Wagner mercenaries coming into Moscow, he just capitulated. What's the answer? Those are two tweets or one tweet? Those are the two tweets. Uh, capitulate. Very good. Now, what? What is? Why is he? Why is he misunderstanding the word mis, uh, capitulated, Mickey? Uh, because it. He's it, it, it. He's trying to make the argument that uh, full force in Ukraine will not. Uh, you know, you, you, Putin doesn't need an off ramp to negotiate. Uh, we can go at him with full force, and he'll only he'll negotiate out of weakness. I think free, uh, uh, Lawrence Friedman sort of made the same point, or maybe I'm confusing the two. Everyone's making I, it. All I the mean, hawks did, are making it. Is Friedman a hawk? Oh yeah. Let me let me add by the way that, that it, it's it's more than that. McFall is explicitly arguing that what we've learned from this crisis is that you don't need to worry about Putin using a nuclear weapon. You get him in a corner and he capitulates. He doesn't use force. Okay, that's the argument. And and and, uh, and I wrote the, my full response to this in today's non-zero newsletter. People can check it out. But back to the word capitulated. What does that word mean to you? And why would you say it does not apply to what Putin did? Well, it means you surrender. It means you surrender on the enemy's terms. And in fact, Putin, you know, exiled the guy. He he may or may not incorporate the Wagner units in the military. He may uh, may prosecute the head of Wagner. Uh, uh, and and the, you know the Wagner guy backed down, so it's uh, it's not clear that yeah. that that's that's a, you know both sides got something in this negotiation. Yeah, I don't think he's going to prosecute Prigozhin, but Prigozhin had three demands: uh, do not integrate the Wagner forces in Ukraine into the Russian military; a, uh, fire the defense minister; b, uh, fire uh, this guy Gerasimov, who's head of the the equivalent of head of the Joint Chiefs, I guess. Those were the three big demands. Oh, for three plus you're exiled. Yes, uh, you can you can take those Wagner troops who want to go into Belarus with you fine, but they can't have heavy armaments. Leave the tanks and and big weapons here. Well, the, yeah, the, 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 I thought the jury is still out on the defense minister. He could still well, he could still be canned. 
yeah, after well, a decent he, interval. He could be, but but McFall has finished with this Twitter thread, and he says that Putin's already capitulated, yeah. and he hasn't. The, Walter Russell Mead had an interesting argument for why Putin likes his defense minister. He's not an ethnic Russian, therefore he has a small power base. He can't overthrow mm. Putin easily, so he's weak. So he likes him uh, not to have a lot of contacts in the rest of the military. This is Shoigu. They go way back to he trusts him. I mean, Putin values loyalty above all. Um, the uh, but it really is important to understand that uh, by my lights, Putin handled the situation close to as well as he could have. Now, it's probably his fault for being there in the first place and not clipping Prigozhin's wings much earlier because he's he's been a growing problem. But once once the guy is marching with 5,000 well-armed men in Russia, you have to understand something. Those men are considered war heroes in Russia. You know, what, what, another thing you heard was, wow, now we know that Ukraine can just march in there. No, I think Putin would be a little less ambivalent about killing U Ukrainian soldiers than about killing uh, these Wagner guys who, who, who they're the most successful troops in you that Russia has in Ukraine. And people know that. Once uh, one point Friedman made, which I think seems to be true, is that all of his troops are in Ukraine. Putin didn't have all that many troops back home guarding the fort. I so think his, that's posi true. his position was a little more precarious than he'd like. I guess he still had the Air Force, but uh, you know yeah, they shot down. They shot that, down. They shot down yeah. some people. Yeah, they did. Uh, it turns out that Wagner had uh, effective anti-aircraft weapons. Um, yeah, he could have won, but uh, in the long run. But you're right. I mean, what would be catastrophic? Again, this is a formidable force. What would have been catastrophic? Is this if he has to start withdrawing troops from Ukraine to fight them, which is not completely inconceivable? That's a bad look, and that could start a cascade. I mean, he he basically had all bad options, and uh, you know, he he uh, I, I he, he look. If you have to pick one guy who won and one guy who lost, he's not the guy who lost. Um, he it, it's it, it did reveal uh, a certain weakness in the regime, kind of. And it may have made it weaker. That all may all be true. But 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 you know, if McFall actually understood the argument that those of us who are concerned about nuclear war are making, he'd realize that the weaker Putin feels his regime is, the more concerned we think you should be. That's our argument, at least. And and and, and at some point he should show signs of comprehending it, but so far he doesn't. Do you uh, do you think this means that the war in Ukraine is going will go worse for Putin because he's losing his best troops? Bakhmut is back. The Ukrainians are yeah. retaking this meaningless town, but they're they are they're surrounding. They're trying to surround a bunch of Russian troops. And I was reading one commentary where it said, "Well, then he'll have the choice of either resign or use nukes." Not a choice we wanted to make. Have to not make. a choice we wanted to make. I mean, there are no signs that it's affecting the battlefield in a big way. Um, you know, Wagner had pretty much withdrawn from Bakhmut already. It's true that Ukraine is making a big fight of Bakhmut. And I wonder if that's partly because they want to have some kind of trophy to wind up with, although they're a long way from capturing it, uh, you know, because things continue to not go that well in the South. I, I, I think long run, it could hurt uh, the the effort in Ukraine in various ways, conceivably. One of them is actually uh, to make Putin more reluctant to get rid of these two incompetent 
these apparently incompetent guys at the top of the uh, the military structure just because uh, now it looks bad for him to do it now that Prigozhin has demanded it. But there's various ways it could it could uh, it could hurt. I mean, it's certainly absorbing his focus, and he may uh, wind up doing something with this guy Suravikan, who was the said to be something of a Prigozhin sympathizer. You know, a general who um, uh, they're investigating, who may be in jail. He's one of the most competent generals they have. That would be a big loss. I actually think if Putin were smart, unless he can really implicate him in the plot, which seems unlikely because Suravokin was the first big guy to come out on video and tell and say, no, stop to Prigozhin. Now, people said, look like a hostage video, look like he was drunk. Well, it's Friday night. Of course he's drunk. But, you know, you can't have everything. He didn't have a heads up. That's just more evidence he didn't have a heads up. He would have been sober. Um, There have been various conflicting stories about how much we knew. The initial story, of course, was, oh, we knew everything. Our super super great uh, intelligence community sees all. I thought that was just self-serving PR for them. Yeah. Then it came out that we knew nothing, and now it's coming out that that we really did know more than, uh, you know, know quite a bit. And I'm wondering, did we tip Putin off? Is I it, want, and I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't that wouldn't that be rational for us to do? Because I, I wonder. We, sort of, we need Putin's cooperation. He's better than what's going to come down the road. Right. If he's beholden to us, that lowers the temperature quite a bit. Yeah. Um. I wondered about that because a rational president might worry about instability in Russia, even though you might say no. Well, you could argue it either way. I wondered about that. I kind of seriously doubt it. I'd be surprised if we didn't know a little while in advance because, you know, this thing was was um, had to be planned and, and a certain amount of stuff had to be repositioned in preparation for it. And we have pretty good intelligence. It's kind of shocking if Russia was really taken by surprise, although I guess. Um, I guess they were. Uh, but the the other, just one kind of related thing is it's being, people are, in terms of assessing the stability of the regime, um, a lot of uh, people are are acting as if, you know, the, the military chose not to act. Here's a, a paragraph from a Wall Street Journal, a reported piece, like second paragraph or something. It says, Putin's authority has been damaged by his inability to cross the mutiny. Russia's regular army mostly stayed on the sidelines while Wagner troops headed for the capital. The assumption seems to be that Putin like gave them some order to fight and they didn't. There's no evidence of that whatsoever. It makes perfect sense that Putin would be very reluctant to engage them uh, in battle for reasons I just stated. And uh, so, you know, I, I think the, the other thing is it's it's like, I, I mean, remember, Nobody signed on with Prigozhin. Not a single prominent voice piped up and said, I'm with you. And I think he thought that would happen. Um, and there's not going to be another threat like him. This is completely unique. A guy who has thousands of well-armed, loyal soldiers of his own in his own little militia. And so I, I just wouldn't overstate the magnitude. Uh, well, no. I mean, there are other people who could threaten him. There, there's he, Putin has a whole, you know... Uh, uh, there's a whole uh, bureaucracy of generals and apparatchiks in the various yeah, defense yeah, if the ministries. the military turns and on him, yes. Yeah. At some point, they could say, sorry, Vladimir, you're not in control anymore. And what can he do? Punch him out? That can happen. It's just, it's just 
harder if there's, I mean, this was a case where you had a, a charismatic guy with these troops who were already his guys. They weren't part of the Russian military. Okay. Now there are still right. some private forces, but they're, they're run like by corporations and stuff. There's, there's and, and, and they're just not as big a deal. Um, so I, you, I don't know. It's, um, you, I guess the, yeah. You like, you like, you, 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 uh, on Twitter steered people to a, uh, a website that discussed in great detail, the guy who called Putin Botox, uh, uh, and, uh, great detail all the various machinations in the russian bureaucracy which is much deeper than you know than we we normally find out from the reading the la i mean the uh the u.s dailies and but there was a guy named strelkov i think there was who i'd never strelkov. heard of and, yeah oh he's an interesting I, I nothing, character i know nothing about him he also what's his other name he has a nom de guerre and a and a name so he's he's a complicated figure he, he's uh he is a guy who used to be in Russian, uh, maybe with the FSB or something. But in 2014, after the election, and I think after they took Crimea, he apparently of his own volition went into the Donbass and, you know, he's a Russian guy and helped organize what was already, I think, an incipient, you know, separatist rebellion. And it's not clear that he had the authority of Putin. In any event, he was eventually sidelined. He was held responsible for the shooting down of that airliner, if you remember. Gogurkin is his other name. He's um, an interesting guy to watch. He, he's kind of like Prigozhin in, the, in that he's like a loose cannon, very critical defense establishment. But he and Prigozhin hate each other. And he has no real power, I think. I think he's probably located in the Donbass. He's just, he's just, a, he's just an entertaining social media presence, basically. Um, the, uh, the one other thing, um, to what, in terms of, I mean, back to the offensive, okay, quickly, before we turn to your stuff, the offensive continues to move only slowly in the South. I think the way to think of this is, you know, the crumple zone on a car, is that what they call it? Where, right. you know, like in they a do. collision, it crumples. It's supposed to crumple, but it isn't just supposed to crumple. It's also supposed to absorb the momentum of the oncoming vehicle. Right. Right. In the South, the Ukrainian troops are still in the crumple zone. In other words, Russia expects them to get through there. They just want to make sure and take enough of a toll on Ukrainian forces before they get to the main line of defenses. So far, I would say uh, the crumple zone is is working. Um, a while ago, I heard that just as one kind of index uh that 15% of the Bradley fighting vehicles we sent them are either destroyed or out of commission through damage or being left on the battlefield or something. Just keeping track of the video stuff since then, I'd say it's now over 20%. If that's representative of like, you know, the other armor they have and various other things, then then yeah, the, the crumple zone is working much better than the Ukrainians would it, like. Uh, but we'll see. The Nothing to keep an eye on. Ukrainians made a river crossing. Remember, the dam blew up. It reconfigured the shoreline. Right. Uh, now, Russians who said that Ukraine blew up the dam, and I think if either side blew it up, it was Ukraine, but said, you know, well, we'll see. If they now stage a big crossing after a while, we'll know it was them. Well, they're doing something of a crossing. It's mainly by bridge. I think it's a little amphibious. Um, 
I, I, I do think a flood like that almost inherently favors the offense because the, the, the defensive lines get all discombobulated and offensive lines, you know, almost by definition don't. Are flexible. They're, yeah. yeah. And, and, and uh, so that's, that, that could change. Plus there's just a, a whole bunch of new borderline the Russians have to worry about by virtue of the reservoir drying up. What I'm talking about now is below the dam, but there's also above the dam new possible threats. And then finally, we're sending them more weapons. It looks like we are going to send them these so-called attackums missiles with 190 mile range. And now they're talking about sending them cluster munitions. I, I mean, basically what's happening is like the worse the offensive goes, the more carnage we're willing to sponsor, right? I mean, that that's almost what's going on is, is the worse it goes, the more, the, the faster we want to send them new stuff. And there's a lot of carnage on both sides. And I, again, uh, don't think this so, is wise. So what's the optimistic view? What is, uh, it, it, it sounds like if, if the Russian lines hold, Putin can say we've blooded the offensive and, I, 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 it's a, what, what would, does Putin negotiate when he's weak or when he's strong? I haven't figured that out. So you're well, supposed to negotiate when you're weak, but Putin seems to be an exception, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know that. Well, I think everybody's more inclined to negotiate or, or, or to negotiate on, you know, more forgiving terms, uh, more favorable terms for the other side when they're weak. That includes Putin. Um, I think he's ready. He, he, I think he'd be ready for a ceasefire now. I, I was listening to this general, retired general named Ryan, who who actually believes it's likely that Russia will use nuclear weapons. He, I think, is still at Harvard's Belkin Center. Smart guy. Um, he was saying he thinks Putin's ready for a ceasefire now. Zelensky is not ready for a ceasefire. I mean, he says he thinks Putin would settle for these lines. They got the land bridge. And, you know, I suspect that uh, the attempted mutiny makes him, if anything, a little more willing to 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 just to settle for a ceasefire now. I think he's ready. When Michael McFall says things like, well, we have to push them, we have to, you know, attack Crimea before they'll be ready to really negotiating, to negotiate, that's because his definition of negotiating is is for for Putin to be willing to surrender all occupied territory, Crimea, the Donbass, everything. And and that's never going to happen, uh, but 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 that's what McFall means by, by I think by Putin being quote ready to negotiate. I think he's ready now more than Zelensky. If if what you want is a ceasefire, right? But I'm saying if if the should be be rooting for the counteroffensive to succeed or peter out. If you want negotiations, it sounds like you want it to peter out because then Zelensky maybe will be ready to negotiate. But you know, intrinsically, obviously, you want Ukraine to win. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think so. the, what makes Zelensky less inclined to negotiate, even if the offensive fails, is our just continuing to pile new weapon systems on him. Uh, it's almost, you know, uh, and I'm, it's not an incentive to fail, yeah. but it, it's a reason that failure won't push him to the negotiating table. Here, um, here's a, here's a yeah. technical question. If a Bradley fighting vehicle goes over the mine, goes over a mine, is it destroyed and all the people killed or... Is it strong no, enough to withstand a mine? I think it's good at keeping the people inside safe. But yeah. I think, a, a, man, there was a horrifying video. Uh, just This is just the, the most compelling war is hell video I've ever seen. And it was a number of Bradleys. It was, they had obviously run into a minefield. There were several soldiers who had hit uh, 
you know, a personnel, anti-personnel uh, mines. They're lying there. They can't move. Uh, and, and obviously, the guys trying to help them are kind of afraid to move very far. The right. Bradleys are afraid to move very far. Everyone's kind of creeping. It's like a seven-minute video. And then at the end, there's a guy who seems to be a medic. He's poised on the edge of the Bradley. And he's looking like, where can I step? Where can I, you know, he wants to go help these guys. Right. He steps off. The landmine hits him. And this, it's pretty vivid. Basically, bottom of his leg is gone. Uh, it, you know, it's hanging by a thread. Because he's a medic, he knows to take the tourniquet out and tie off his own leg. And they pull him back in the vehicle. And I mean, but it's he's lost. He's lost the leg. But I just mean the whole thing. And, and look, the video is put out by the Russians to convey that war for the Ukrainians is hell. And so they have this kind of eerie atonal music. Uh, but it does accurately convey that this is just a situation like this is just the very definition of hell. And I just we have the power to stop this if we want. Not much is going to change on the ground if you ask me in our favor without significantly increasing the chances of catastrophic escalation. And meanwhile, we're very casually making these decisions that mean, among other things, that a bunch more Ukrainians are going to die, many of whom don't want to be there. They were drafted. And it's just, I just think it's criminal. Um, now, are we in it? Yeah. Okay. Nope. No, I was going to say over to you for Supreme Court, but go ahead. Ask no, it's just, weird. It's, it's, it's just weird how Putin went for being toast. He's the dead man walking. He's finished. It shows fatal weakness to being, he's like Stalin. He's going to purge the forces and uh, he'll be stronger like Erdogan uh, after a coup attempt. Um, that, that has to factor in our calculation too. If we leave, if we leave Putin in place and we settle the war, is it, do we want Putin to stay in place? I think we do. I don't, I, I mean, Biden said Putin must go, but I don't think we like what comes after Putin. No, I no. what comes after Putin is not going to be Navalny or Thomas Jefferson. Um, so I don't think there's any reason to think it would be better. I personally think instability could be uh, dangerous. Um, so that's my line. By the way, Quick correction. I think last week I played some audio from a guy. I may have identified him as Jack Watling, who is one kind of mainstream Ukraine analyst. But I think, but it was Mark Hurtling, an, a, a retired general and commentator. Uh, so I think I probably got that wrong. So um, there's more I could say, but I can save it for the parrot room. We can maybe talk more about this in the parrot room. Uh, meanwhile, we turn to you for guidance on. Uh, all matters, Supreme Court. Well, well, uh, the Supreme Court issued its big affirmative action ruling declaring that race preferences are, are unconstitutional. Uh, it, 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 basically, the lay of the land is it had previously declared that, you know, making up for past wrongs, giving an underrepresented group a boost uh, is not a justification for race preferences. The only justification that counted, according to the court, and this is one man's opinion, Justice Powell, as the swing vote in the Backy case, was diversity. Uh, and in this case, the Supreme Court said diversity is not enough, and they basically bent over backwards to kill the idea that diversity uh, could, could justify race preferences, uh, so much so that it didn't really make that much sense. I mean, diversity obviously is a legitimate 
it seems to me a legitimate thing for a university to try. But the court said, well, because there's no way to measure the benefits of diversity and you know, there's no time limit, blah, blah, blah. They, they, Roberts came up with a bunch of seemingly bogus uh, reasons for killing diversity, dead, dead, dead. But that's clearly what he wanted to do. Um, it, it, the real reason is it's fake. I mean, they're saying they're doing it for diversity. Really, they're doing it to make up for previous sins and all the reasons uh, people well, wanted what, race what preferences. That even, what does that even mean? You mean the, the motivation that's actually in the heart of admissions officials is that or what? What do you mean? I'm saying that the motivation at the heart of the issue is they want to let as many blacks and Latinos in as possible. Of course, uh, but, but, but and, that and doesn't not, speak not, to what the motivation is. That is their motivation. Edward well, that's Chermisky, a goal. What is the their dean motivation? Of, the dean of Bulls is on tape saying that that's his motivation. What is Sorry? Well, they want it. Yes, obviously, the goal of affirmative action is to get more minorities in uh, of certain groups than would otherwise be there. Right. Right. But what is but how do you tell whether the motivation is to increase diversity or make up for past wrongs? I guess the argument is that if you were if you're you know, if you're making up for past wrongs, you want uh, an ethnic composition that at least uh, replicates the black proportion of the population. eleven percent. If you just want diversity, well, it's like a petting zoo. You want a zebra and, a, and an emu and a, you know, an antelope. OK, uh, you don't need 11 percent blacks. You just need a few representative blacks. And you also need a bunch of other people like Trobriand Islanders and, you know, and Indians and Ceylonese and, you know, you know, people with one leg. And, you know, you want you want you, you, you want there, you would engage in a whole bunch of other things. And and the, the argument of Dahlia and is that diversity can't carry the weight of getting 11% of the students black. Uh, it, it's a much more limited thing. And I think she's sort of right. Anyway, what the court said is uh, diversity is not a compelling state interest, which technically you need to overcome uh, to justify a race preference. Uh, but it did leave some outs. The outs are you can consider on an individual basis. You can't say, you're black, you get 10 extra points in our ranking. You can't say you're black. And as an individual, you struggled against racism all your life and you wrote about it in your student essay. So we're going to take your race into account on an individualized basis. And that part is key, also, right? I mean, they, they have to write the essay to identify themselves. and, and or, 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 they, or the administration has to find out some other way. Right. Uh, but but yeah. I think... I think in theory, aren't they saying you have to write the essay? I mean, I mean, it has to be the essay that was judged as impressive enough to get you into the college, right? I don't, I don't I think get, they're supposed to just know through some means other than box checking they, what your but, ethnicity but they, is. But they could find some other box. They could, <laughs> if they were really sassy, they could have a box saying, "Were you subject to racial discrimination as a child?" And you could check it. Uh, um, well, I, yeah, I, I, I mean, think there, I recall there are many that. Ways, sure, I'd check that box. There are many ways. Right. And the, the other thing they said is you can say if you were inspired by a leader of your race. So you can say I'm inspired by Martin Luther King or Malcolm X or you know Frederick Douglass. But of course, a white person could say that, too. Well, you mean they, really they could have sneaky, a question but, um, on the admissions thing? Were you ever inspired by? I, no, I'm just saying I'm just <laughs> saying they, you know, you sh they shouldn't be reified mm -hmm. about it. I mean, they, they just because. Essays are the one obvious venue now. Doesn't mean they can't come up with another venue, uh, another m means of yeah. uh, getting this information. Anyway, so they they left they left a wide ground for a, a very hard to police area for administrators can say, oh, we just did this on an individualized basis. 
and boost of the level. So that's going to be the battle for the next, you know, 10 years or so uh, is, 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 you know, right-wing legal advocates saying, uh, oh, this is just a subterfuge. You're really doing race quotas. You're, you know, uh, and, and them, and, you know, university administrators defending it in court. And as Ann Coulter points out, you can get punitive damages if you win a civil rights suit against a university and they have huge endowments. So if you're a lawyer, you have every financial incentive to sue the shit out of these people. Um, uh, and so we'll see what happens. What my, my, um, my my takeaway from all this is, is as you know is why do you, where do, it doesn't say in the constitution universities have to be meritocracies they can say we're just a we you know we 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 have some meritorious people we have some unmeritorious people because we think we can actually do more good for them by bringing them up to mediocrity or average or above average and if we took the very best people who are going to succeed anyway so we we have a mix of good people and bad people we just take who we want who we like and we have a good time. We learn a lot of stuff, and then they go have jobs, and the market sorts them out. Uh, we don't credentialize. And why can't a college do that? Why isn't that the obvious way to go? As opposed to Yasha Monk, who said this is an opportunity to make the meritocracy more perfect and eliminate legacy admissions and eliminate all the arbitrariness. No, that's not the way to go. That makes it worse. That means the credential from Harvard is really all. Uh, if you're at the top of the meritocracy, you're anointed. You're credentialed. That's not the way to go. Um, well, that's your kind of eccentric take on all this because you're, you're anti-meritocracy. I, I don't, I don't know how, it, how eccentric it is, but, uh, that is my take. So is yeah, the, I like arbitrariness. I like arbitrariness. I like legacy admission. Fine. You're in a club. You, 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 you know, you're going to college with your friends. Okay. So what? So there's two possible rationales for emphasizing diversity as it was emphasized and allowed as a goal by Baki, the Baki decision. I mean, I, I actually, my question is, what what was the logic behind the Baki decision? Because there's two possible values. There's uh, the value of diversity for all the students at the college. In other words, the experience of white students is enriched by the presence of different kinds of students that maybe represent the kinds of people they'll encounter in their lifetime. And then separate from that, there's the goal of making, you know, America's kind of elite, uh, elite stratum diverse. And the idea being that then you need a kind of diverse pipeline uh, at elite colleges and for that matter, some other colleges to ensure that. Those, those, are, those are two different diversity rationales, right? Right, and I, 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 the first one is definitely there. I mean, that yeah. all students benefit from, uh, you know, from a, and and I sort of buy into that, although there's there's always the compensating Robert Putnam point, which is people trust their own ethnic group more. So maybe if you were, you know, looking for a cure for cancer, you really would trust people of your own ilk more and come come to the cancer cure faster. I, I sort of doubt that, but it's an argument that nobody dares make. Um uh so but you the, mean the you'll first trust the, the doctor of your own race? No, you trust a fellow fellow researcher is what I'm thinking. Oh, uh, oh so if you're like, uh, I see. I, I mean, it's a whole question of trust. You know, people in diverse communities don't trust anybody. That's what Putnam shows, and he tries to disavow it, but that is the counter-argument. Uh, right, but, but and, it's kind of known that the, the, one, the one way that ethnic mixing does 
break down like animosity between groups or stereotype or whatever is or or increase bonding is if you put them in a non-zero some situation. In other words, you put them on the same team in some sense. They're, they're, they're on the same lab team and they're competing with some other lab team. Uh, that that's the I think the literature is that it, it, when people are given a superordinate goal, I think is the other term for the this kind right. of non-zero sum situation. Is that better than having, you know, the Korean team and the Chinese team and the Indian team and the American Probably, team yes. all competing <laughs> with each other for, to Probably. find the cure for cancer? I don't know. I mean, I, I, well, it's an empirical question. That, it's an empirical question that, that the statistics, I doubt the, the statistics you cite address that. Yes, it brings people together, but does it bring people together more than enough to compensate for the lack of trust? Anyway, that's, um, that's sort of a side, side point. But uh, Justice Jackson, uh, made both points. She's also one of the representatives. She she cited a bogus statistic that was so bogus I can't believe she put it in. That if you're a if you have a black maternity doctor, you have, your child has twice as uh, is twice as likely to survive. Completely insane. Uh, you're just saying that, or you know it's insane. You no, know it's, there, it, it's been it's been completely debunked. Uh, the um, first, it's a tiny difference. It's like ninety. 91.96 if you have a black doctor, 91.67 if you have a white doctor. Second, the really serious cases go to the ICU where they're mostly white doctors. So of course they're going to fail more because they take the more serious cases. So it's 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 a statistic, statistically meaningless fact that somehow got into a major Supreme Court decision through the pipeline of of you know cocoon bullshit that both sides suffer from. So um she said it was twice as likely when it was like less than one percent more likely or something. Basically, yeah. Uh, I don't know where they got the twice as likely. So, but it, in my cocoon, we think it's bullshit. <laughs> I don't okay, know. Well. In her cocoon, she may have a response. But but she thought both both they want. But it was more than just representative. She said there was an actual concrete benefit to having black pediatricians represented. It, among the pediatricians, so hmm. uh, that, that that was the argument. Anyway, I'm, uh, I'm, you know, you have to hand. And the other question is, will there be political blowback? And you have to. The answer is less than Dobbs, because a race preferences are way less popular than abortion rights. Uh, second, uh, uh, Justice Roberts wrote the majority opinion, and unlike Dobbs, where Alito said. This horrible piece of crap that we're clearing off the table and throwing in the garbage has existed too long. Thank God we're rid of the awful Rover decision. Roberts was very careful. First, Roberts is a much smoother character. He was very careful to ground this decision. Apparently, in the previous precedents, we said there was a time limit. You know, now we're saying the time limit is getting close, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and he left these outs, these loopholes of, you know, the admissions essay, and yes, I admired Martin Luther King, and you know uh, all, the, all the other various loopholes open. So he he held out some hope, and he it just generally he, the Roberts opinion goes down a whole lot smoother than the Alito opinion. So I don't think it's going to do the Republicans as much harm as Dobbs did. My God, the admissions essay seems like a big loophole, and it seems like it's going to lead to a lot of essays about your experience as a member of your ethnic group. Yeah, maybe. there may have already been a lot. I don't know, but the the real damage is if if they get get rid of the SAT 
test completely, any any or any test of merit, uh, and rely solely on the uh, the essay. That seems like a complete a it entrenches privilege in terms of who gets the smartest person to write their essay, and B it, it opens up all this bullshit. You know, like I say, I I said I was an admirer of Dog Hammarskjöld, whose book I had never read. So, you like, left out. You left out the last part, though. I did leave out the last part. I somehow didn't Good fit thinking. on the page. Well, you ran out of space. Yeah. Um. Well. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so, you any other court cases? There were other court cases. You wanna- there. Uh. Yeah. There's um. The 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 two I guess obvious biggies are that came down today are saying that Biden didn't have the authority to to uh to uh forgive ten thousand dollars of student loans to forty million right. people just and it, it seems to me that's a very close case. The statute said, you know, the Secretary of Education has the power to modify or waive provisions of the student loan program during a time of crisis. Hmm. This is a time of crisis, the pandemic is he was he was waiving parts of the loan program. He didn't forgive it all. I, I it, it seems it, it's like one of those judgment calls that you, you figure, you know, why didn't the dissent have a point? Mm-hmm. So uh, unless you want to say it's an illegal delegation of authority to delegate so much power to the education secretary, and this isn't the case where you want to where you want to draw that line. You want you know to make that delegation point. You know, if the Congress says. The Environmental Protection Agency shall take all appropriate laws to assure, assure the public good. That's mm-hmm. too vague a dedicate, delegation. That's saying, okay, we've given up on making the laws here. You make them for us. This is, we set up a program and, you know, you're the sec- what else is the Secretary of Education good for? You can modify. Of course, uh, uh, if the pandemic is the time of crisis, that's kind of past. On the other hand, when you're running for re-election, that's always kind of a time of crisis, wouldn't you say? <laughs> well, I think... But I think that it was waived. It's the fixed sum was waived during a time of crisis. I don't think was it an ongoing program. I'm not sure it was. See, but um, what I was thinking is, can he run on this? Say the Supreme Court denied you of the relief for your student loans. We need a Senate. We need to keep Democrats running the Senate. You know the way Republicans ran on Roe forever. Of course, and it's much more plausible because you can get the Senate much easier than you can get the Supreme Court. Yet the Republic has managed to do it. So um, yeah, I mean, you yeah. can you can you can do it. You can do it one either way. You can say with the Senate, we can get you a Supreme Court that'll be more favorable. You can also say, even this even this Supreme Court would say Congress has the authority to give you student loan relief. Right. So give us two Democratic houses and right. we'll do it. Right. Yes, he can certainly say that. I'm sure he will do that. He's going to come up with some some sort of Plan B solution. Uh, next week. Uh, I mean, all that said, it is soon. kind of a socioeconomically uh, biased uh, thing. I mean, I, I mean we shouldn't it. we shouldn't over caricature it. It's not like everyone who goes to college is rich. And in fact, if you're rich, you don't need to worry about the loans. But well, you have to make under one hundred twenty five thousand, which is rich in my book, uh, to qualify yeah. for this. Um, the the other one is is uh, one of these. You know, do, do you have to make a bake a cake for? A gay couple, except it was a web designer who objected to uh, making some uh, some de- some design with an uh, pro LGBT. I don't know the but I don't know about the uh, the details of the case, but they said you can't force her to do something that's a, 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 against her wishes, against her views, which seems to make sense to me. I mean, it's like we are 
you know, they, it all goes back to this decision, this article that Robert Bork wrote for the New Republic, where he said, it, we ha- you know, it is a big, the civil rights laws are a big deal to take a woman who runs a boarding house and say, we are taking away your decision for who can be in your boarding house. That's sort of all the power she has. That's where she sees her meaning in the world is, is she can run this sort of sphere. And if the state says, no, we're taking over your sphere, that's a big deal. We have to do that for race. That was the not Bork's position. That's certainly my position. Race is so important, but we don't have to do it for every fucking cause that comes down the pike. And that was the po- point of Chris Caldwell's book, that once the liberals had taken over this personal sphere, they didn't stop. But now they're telling you what web designs you can do. And uh, that's insane. I, I, she argues, and I assume well, it's true. But, but if it she were race, would to- you say it w- that would be insane, the web designs? I mean... You're, you're, you're not saying web designs are, are insane. You're saying that that sexual orientation is in a different category from race. Well, she says she says she didn't not do designs for gay people. She just didn't do designs that had this message. So if you said I'm not, I of course I will serve black people, which I think you have to do under the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, but we, I am not going to do a, a pro uh, you know Black Lives Matter thing for you because I don't like it. Uh, mm-hmm. I would defend her on that grounds, as long as you didn't. Uh, but uh, you know that would as be as long as you didn't do do that for a white person. On the other hand, right. the equivalent for the white person, anyway, it, it could get complicated. Uh, well, but you got to write a free speech. Free speech means you can take offensive positions. You, um, you can charge money for them. I don't know. It's it, uh, but that would be the key case. You're right. That would be the that would be the where the rubber meets yeah. the road on that one. Uh, so there were those two decisions. Uh, those are the big ones. And, and uh, you know, people are getting, despite Justice Roberts' best efforts to be, some, you know, smooth and oleaginous about it all, uh, the left is getting the distinct impression that the Supreme Court is against them and is on a rampage. Uh, and I think Roberts realizes that, and he's trying to back off the pressure as much as he can. But H- you know, Hence the essay, the admissions essay loophole. And, and hence him taking the opinion himself, and hence you know, you know him defending the court's legitimacy. And hence him trying in Dobbs to soften the abortion decision, mm-hmm. uh, but he failed. He, he doesn't have the he doesn't have a five four majority. He has a six three majority, which is much worse for him. Now, anyway, I have, for some reason, I have new respect for Roberts, even though I had complete contempt for him before. Oh, I've never had contempt for him. Uh, His DACA but- decision was pretty bad. Um, it was of an ilk. He, he obviously said it re- would reflect really badly on the court if we took away the, the, the right of all these so-called dreamers that Obama, you know, tried to half pardon. Uh, yeah. And so he came up with a completely crazy uh, reason for not doing that. Uh, the so anyway. um, So one more question about this. So is it is it the fact uh, that if you look at the Supreme Court's rationale for like, you know, anti-racial discrimination stuff, and you look at their rationale for sexual orientation stuff like gay marriage, are the rationales rooted in the same kind of constitutional logic? Are they like rooted in different amendments or what? Well, this this is is, a- no, they're rooted in the same constitutional logic, but the constitutional logic always seems very formal and strict, and that's its virtue. The virtue of the Warren Court is it said these it established this whole edifice of equal protection 
or if it was an immutable trait or a fundamental right, you needed strict scrutiny to overcome it. You needed a compelling state interest to justify, you know, a discrimination. And but the, but it, the, the the these strict categories always collapse. So women come along and they say, "Hey, we're like blacks. We get strict scrutiny too." And the court says, eh, "Not so fast. We'll give intermediate scrutiny to you." And like and this one, uh, you know, they tried to cram diversity as a compelling state interest. But if you look at it, it sort of breaks down. It's not a compelling state interest, but it's a valid interest. So maybe the whole idea of if it has to be a compelling state interest is bullshit. Maybe it should be able to be sort of a medium-sized interest, which diversity is. And, and so all these, yes, it is the same structure, but all the, the structure breaks down when the court starts considering, are gays really like blacks? Are women really like blacks? And the answer is they're all sui generis. Nobody's like blacks. And, and, and the attempt to insert yourself into the role of blacks is, is sort of uh, when you say, dis, disreputable at this point. When you, when you say nobody's like blacks, you mean nobody has the history, the distinctive history. in well, history. Right. Uh, and, um, you know, the, um, you know, is it immutable? Uh, you know, the black thing is immutable. It's right there on your face. People can tell it. You know, the gay thing is maybe immutable, probably immutable. We don't know. There's, you know, the, the whole trans thing is maybe it's not so immutable. And it's not right there on your face that you're carrying around for your entire life. Uh, so it's different. Uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty close to blacks, but it's not like I mean, blacks. by immutable, you women mean... Are, women are biologically different, so that's different than blacks, right? Well, but, I mean, sex discrimination is a whole other thing we, we haven't even touched on. But, but the... Uh, um, if by mutable you mean something you can't readily change by choice, I I think you know uh, a due humility compels me to assume that it is. I mean, my sexual attraction to women is not something I could have changed, and yours probably isn't either, right? I mean, that's I I don't see any reason to believe uh, that anyone's uh, you know. Actually, Richard Hanania is working on a. Working on it, obviously, a, an app, a an app that thread. can change it. No, a tweet thread saying, "Well, this immutability thing, you know, maybe it's you know there are little things you can do with chromosomes and hormones and people." Well, should sure, be if you want to intervene to at that level, uh, but, yeah, uh, but uh, you okay. Know, um, so wait. anyway, I'm I'm uh, I agree with you that, that I think I think homosexuality is maybe or sexuality is maybe immutable, uh, and. Uh, I'm not sure that carries today, but that's one factor in their favor. And I don't think you should discriminate against gays. I mean, uh, so, yeah. uh, it, it, and the immutability is certainly a heavy thing weighing, you know, but if you're in a bar, I guess, I guess my argument was in, if you're, if you're running a gay bar and you only want gay people in there because you want people to be able to be hit on by the people that they expect to be hit on, uh, it gets a little muddy. I don't mm -hmm. know. I've gotten into trouble by going down that line of reasoning before so i will shut up but um it, uncharacteristic it, it's not, wisdom you should you, just, you should not be able to do that with blacks and whites to say you know only one race in here but if if you sort of anyway you got my point so you and andrew the, sullivan andrew sullivan will say gays bars don't discriminate against non-gays and a whole bunch of people say oh you've never been to this bar in france etc cetera, et cetera. speaking of france now you first of all you heard the sound uh, that it, that that's our cue yeah. to start moving toward the parent room quickly. 
Well, in France, I guess they're kind of having their George Floyd moment, but I don't have anything particular to say about that. Uh, if, if you do, maybe we can talk about Except that. Except the, the press is doing a very good job of covering up the fact that it's basically an ethnic uh, thing. An ethnic thing in the banlieues, which are ethnic ghettos. Yeah, I had to do a little. And work they're to erupting just—they're erupting just like our ghettos do. So that's I mean, what's I, going on. but I think it's—it may be like George Floyd in that there are a number of uh, whites on the left who are supporting it. Like the George Floyd protests, there are a lot of heavily white protests. But it's it is it, right, and it's also unlike it, right. All the people that uh, got killed in that shooting were all white people. Um, the. Uh, the uh, it's also unlike our situation in that the people in the ghettos are immigrants, more mm. recent immigrants, way more recent than the people who were uh, in what's left of our ghettos. So, uh, mm. you know, in theory, it should have uh, real time consequences for France trying to consider how many more of these people do we really want to take if we having so much trouble absorbing them. Uh, so um, that's not true in our situation. Okay. Now, finally, on an uncharacteristic note of self-congratulation, do you remember me saying last week, I think we've reached peak RFK? Did or did not his you, poll numbers begin to plummet a nanosecond after I said that? That's true, but you were coincidentally, Bob, maybe you got the memo too, with a huge media campaign designed to exactly to drive down his poll numbers. Well, I said that was one thing that was going on. I said yeah, two things. Yeah, I thought... Okay. A lot of the 20% who had said, sure, I love Kennedy's. Yeah, sign me up. Uh, once they heard his, again, he has this, you know, this, he, he has a, a, an, you know, kind of affliction, this uh, kind of uh, dystonia is the technical term for the muscular disorder that leaves his voice sounding yeah. very strange. Yeah. And, I, and I think a number of people heard him and went, that's weird. But also separate from that, there was, this campaign was launched once he reached a certain amount of prominence to convince, uh, you know, liberals that he's, that he's crazy. Right. I'm, I'm, you know, and we, we'll talk about this paradigm. They, you know, Biden launched this campaign based on Bidenomics. Biden isn't looking that bad as far as the economy goes, certainly, which is usually the most important thing in an election. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, the, I mean, we can talk about this. The Biden's problem is not Biden. However, senile you think he is, Biden's problem is he, Kamala Harris. If he had a backup who Americans trusted, who was ready to step in, if Biden faltered, if he had a heart attack, if, he, if people decided he was too senile to go on, it wouldn't be a big deal. But he doesn't do that. That's his own damn fault for picking her. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Biden problem, his record isn't that bad. Uh, and uh, his basic problem is he has no backup. So he's leading the nation over a cliff because he ain't going to make it for six more years. So you didn't think the Biden problem was Biden this week when he said, quote, Putin is clearly losing the war in Iraq? No, that's like me last week. I say it all the time. Yeah, I wouldn't vote for you. That's why. <laughs> well, that's thanks a, a lot, Bob. It's just that in your case, there are other reasons as well. <laughs> um, it, it's and then there was that. Now, this was taken out of context, I'm sure. But did you? Oh, well, we can discuss it in the pyramid. There was another weird take. Anyway, you know, it, finally, I, I got to say. uh Earlier this week, I was thinking, you know, Kennedy, he'd actually be better off running as a Republican, probably. I mean, maybe not because Trump just has one block of the vote so locked up, but, but in a way, it makes as much sense. And then I heard uh, yesterday on the DMZ podcast, uh, Bill Sharon, Matt Lewis, I think Bill brought it up first, saying you can imagine a Trump-Kennedy ticket, that this is the kind of weird idea Trump would like. 
Yes. Uh, it's also possible that Kennedy could, well, seems unlikely given his name, but could pursue a third party candidacy. I think he has said he wouldn't, when, right? Okay, maybe he has. But you remember, he makes a big deal about that his father, when his father was killed, his voters went to George Wallace. They didn't go to the Democrats. So um, uh, it is possible that he, he obviously does think he can draw from both sides. And it wouldn't make, wouldn't be crazy. He obviously does not think he would only draw from Democrats. So it wouldn't be crazy for him to attempt it, although I think it would screw Biden more than Trump. Okay. So what are we going to talk uh, about uh, in the parrot room? Okay. We, um, uh, well, in politics, there's Tucker Carlson's pick for the substitute for Biden. Uh, what I think the Republican strategy should be. Uh, we have Bidenomics uh, versus the, uh, you know, the the the, the new rep the new the new Republican flavor of the year is national conservatism, Orrin Cass, the uh, the people who have uh, sort of renounced the fundamentals of free market economics. Uh, a little thing to say about that. Um, there's. Uh, uh, there's the band name of the year, which which we can derive from, you know, every time there's a, a headline with a new concept like, you know, uh, uh, controlling legal authority. Everybody said, hey, controlling legal authority. That's a good band name. Mm -hmm. Well, this is the best. This is the best one ever. There's Matthew Iglesias saying liberals have higher IQs. There's uh, a prominent. Uh, Pro DeSantis tweeter, uh, who's who was unmasked by Breitbart for of all people for saying uh, anti anti Semitic allegedly anti Semitic things four years ago. Mm -hmm. We can talk about that. Uh, we can talk about is there's some new evidence suspect that the COVID virus was not just escape but it was a bioweapon. Uh, we have somebody com complaining that. Women were women were hunters, not just gatherers. I sent that to you. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we have COVID fraud. We have the movie Silo, which the I watched series, another the TV episode series of. Silo, the TV final uh, Silo. episode of which was uh, released last night. And I'm going to make a guess about. I'm going to watch it. We're going to watch it tonight. And I'm going to make a guess about a big reveal. My guess is it won't tie up all the loose ends because they want a second season. Well, it won't because they want a second season. But but uh, but I have a theory about the big reveal. Um, also, I watched Invasion of the Body Snatchers, as I was instructed to do. So I'm ready to discuss oh, that. Did, did you okay. watch uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still? I didn't. Was I supposed to do uh, that? Mickey. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll pick up slack. I have a little more to say about UFOs, a little more to say about the uh, Titanic submersible, the Titan. Um. A Alan little... Arkin died. Oh, did he? Oh, Alan yeah. Arkin. I always got yeah. him mixed up with Alan Alda, but now I don't. Yeah. Okay. Enjoy uh, you it, can sir. talk about him. And I can talk about Alan Alda if you want, but nothing happens with him. <laughs> um, the uh, I want to talk more about the Ukraine war a little, kind of generally. Uh, also about uh, media reporting on this. Uh, you know, the, the Russians uh, struck this city, Kramatorsk. And there's an interesting backstory on uh, Western media coverage of that. Um, the uh, a little more detail on the uh, reasons to worry about a false flag attack. 
at the nuclear plant. Um, just a little more detail. Uh, and um, I think that's pretty much it for me. So you have a lot of stuff. We have a ton of stuff all, to, all, all, all together. Um, and I have even more stuff, but it's sort of boring. So, okay. Yeah. Let's like Tony, Tony Blinken, no, Tony Blinken's trip to China. Not so bad. Oh, I'd be willing to argue with you. Well, the trip okay. itself was not too bad. You're right. Okay. Right. Uh, but, yeah. uh, but I'll write that down in case you want to talk about him. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So, um, so um, and also uh, wait, people like should, uh, Smash the like button. By the way, there's a new YouTube policy. Have you heard about this? Uh, you're no. supposed to smash the like button whether you like something or dislike it. This is straight down. This was a memo from YouTube. Um, you're supposed to smash the like button either way. You didn't hear about this, Mickey? Well, the way they come and arrest you if you don't? Yeah, they will arrest you. In fact, that's the other part. If you watch a video and don't smash the like button, you will be arrested. I meant to mention that part. Thank you for reminding me. But anyway, in the end, it's up to you, folks. Do what you feel is right. You don't have to smash the like button. It's, uh, you know, prison has its virtues. So uh, do smash the like button. Um, the Parrot Room is patreon.com slash Parrot Room is the, is the avenue to all that fabulous bonus content. And now so, we're going to Parrot. Smash the like button is a Bad band name. Oh yeah, and I'll bad tell you my name. I'll tell you my daughter's. I'll tell you my daughter's band name. They have what I think is a pretty good band name. The band. Your daughter's in a band. Of course, everyone in Brooklyn's in a band. Is she? Is she the? Is she the singer? Mm. Does she play an instrument? Both daughters are in this, and I think they do different things. Both of them are somewhat conversant in guitar and piano. I want to be in Brooklyn. It's the happening place, man. If, it, if everybody's in a band, I want to be there. It's not too late. I'll put I don't in a big so. word for Having, you. I, I, I was looking for a rock show to go to this weekend, the next mm -hmm. week. There was nobody I'd heard of except every venue, practically every day, Neil Young is performing. And, uh, you know, it's like she, she's giving like 30 concerts in L.A. next week including a big one at the Greek, but little ones too. And I realized I have no desire to see a guy as old as Neil Young. You know, a song I've started to think is actually very good is uh, Harvest Moon. Okay. It's, He's written a lot of good songs, just not any in the last 20 years. Well, greatest hit. He's, he's produced stuff that's been crap. That's the problem. If you just saying the oldies, it'd be okay. But he speaks highly yeah. of your work, Nikki. Okay. I know. Heading into the parent, What can I folks. say? What can I say? See you there. Asymmetry.